Okay, here we are back for another edition of Spirit of the Game. This is Ed Mate and Lewis Harry, and it is April, and we are so excited because we have a new we have a new setup here. I feel like I'm in a, a radio stu- a radio studio. Brand new, yeah. yeah. Mics, software, mixing board, everything. So hopefully, uh, our loyal listeners out there, all four of you, are enjoying the better audio quality. Um, so let's just dive right in. This month, we have a new topic. And the topic is rules of golf we would change if we were the grand poobahs of golf, uh, which would be quite a responsibility, by the way. I'm not sure I want to be a poobah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's, I don't know, there, there, there's a reason there's a, a joint rules committee that makes yeah. that decision. So we'll, we'll leave it to them. So last month we talked about uh, the most violated rules. This month, April, we're going to talk about rules we would change. Next month I'm excited that we're going to have Thomas Pagel uh, the chief governance officer for the USGA, former CGA PJ Boatwright intern, um, to talk about the rollback. And we're probably going to touch on that over the course of this conversation. Um, so we'll save that one for next month, but it'll probably, like I said, come up. Um, so, uh, so here we go. So um, I'm going to start out with um, some model local rules, and then I'm going to work up to um, – kind of rules I would change for every golfer. And model local rules, as we, we're continuing to see, is kind of here to stay. So, um, and again, I'll be the first to just swear full disclosure here. Some of my rules you're not going to like. And nobody's going to like, but I don't really care because I'm the poobah. Well, I think prefacing our conversation, I think the rules that people would like to see changed, if you asked the 99% everyday average golfer, what rules you'd like to see change? None of those are going to show up on any of our lists, unfortunately. <laughs> so if you're listening to this episode and you're expecting to hear relief from a dividend in a fairway, you can turn the episode off right now because you're not going to hear it. That's right. Or you can just keep listening either way. Yeah. No, and it's what I love when people ask, a they say, didn't they change that? You know, you get that all the time. They must have changed that. And a lot of times, no, it's always been that way. Um, I think a lot of that is the product of the 2019 overhaul to the rules. Yeah. So many changes in 2019. There's, you know, and yeah. people not exactly understanding what changed in 2019. So I think a lot of it is just, you know, oh, they must have changed that. Or, right. You know. So I'll, I'm just going to say my changes are big. They're not little. They're not little. I have a couple nitpicks uh, that are much more realistic, you know, things that probably, you know, are more more likely to change. Um, but, um you know, these ones are big ones. So, all right, I'm going to dive right in. The first thing I would change, and these are model local rules, is I would uh, implement a 10-club limit for skilled competitions. Just like we saw, the game is infinitely better when you have fewer implements in your bag. And if we want to go back to a game of skill, I'd go with 10 clubs. Uh, the 14-club rule was pretty random when it was established in the 1930s. Um, they picked a number of 14, but it was kind of a – it was pretty random. That was not the standard bag. The standard bag during that time was seven or eight clubs. So we picked 14, and, again, I think I would roll it back to t- – so you want to talk about rollback? Let's roll it back to 10 clubs. I actually think it, there's probably a lot of support for that one, actually, if you talk to some people who are in favor of t- trying to make the game – challenging again or bringing more skill into the game uh i think rory McIlroy made some comments recently about he doesn't know when the last time he played around a golf and used every club in his bag was so i think that comment there especially on a level as high as the pga tour it probably aligns exactly with that i think 
if Rory McIlroy doesn't remember the last time he was hitting any long irons or mid irons in his bag, or, you know, maybe he wasn't using all 14. I don't know if that has more to say about the courses on the PGA tour, or if that has to say with how easy the game has gotten for some of the highest yeah, skilled I, players in the world. I think it has to do with the rollback. They hit it so far. The, the whole middle section of their bag, mm-hmm. anything in the six iron area, and they never touch that club. I'm surprised. I thought you'd be like, that's, you know, I was totally expecting you just to totally, I mean, personally, would you support that? I would support it. Hey, hey so we it's, agreed it's, on something. Yeah, I can't so finally, believe it. So finally in alignment here. Between I the consider that a huge victory. So uh, the only reason why is because I, I enjoy playing with a half set a lot of times. I'll put a half set in a Sunday bag and go play with seven clubs, and I actually don't find any difference in the way I play with my full bag versus the half set. I've done this a lot over the course of the last 20 years. I've played probably half of the time I've played with six or seven clubs and I found the same exact thing. Okay. That's number one on my list. What do you got? Okay. So one on my list, and this is for, for the folks who are all about speeding up the game and pace of play. And, you know, we got to make the game faster. It takes too long. I'm sick of five hour rounds. My change would be to bring back in the continuous putting clause. Now in the, this is, Decades and decades ago, th- there was a continuous putting clause in the rules. Once you've marked your ball on the putting green and then you've made a stroke at it, you were to continue making a stroke at that ball until it was holed. As we know now, there are no restrictions when you get to the putting green on marking, lifting, and cleaning your ball. So after each stroke, a lot of us, if we don't hole a ball out after each stroke, we have a tendency to mark that ball, lift it again, and let someone else take a turn making a stroke at their ball. Especially on tour, when we see players marking their balls, it translates down to the club level and the junior level. We see juniors marking, you know, four-foot putts, three-foot putts, instead of just finishing out the hole. It really bugs me as a golf administrator watching a group that's already getting close to behind time, continuing to take time on the green by marking, lifting, cleaning after every single stroke. So I would have no issue putting back in a continuous putting clause into the rules that once you have marked your ball once on the green and have replaced it and made a stroke at it, you are to continue playing that ball until it is hold. Well, now you're speaking my language, and that's a perfect segue to uh, let's my pace of play, my primary pace of play rules change. Model local rule, a shot clock. Um, you literally have a shot clock on the putting green. I don't think you can do, need to do a shot clock, tee to green, get to the green, shot clock. Now, implementing, and this is a, we're the poobahs. We don't have to worry about the devil in the details. We can let the, let the, let the minions figure out how they're going to do this. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, the, they did, as you said, they did try this years ago, uh, and I'm sure it was a pace of play. But here's the problem, or not, not the problem, but if you did continuous putting, would you also say you can't mark once you start putting? You can only mark and lift it once. Or that you're still going to have the mark lift and, and mess around with aligning the ball with the perfect, all those marks on the ball and the lines. And again, I didn't have this on my list, but I would, I would change that if I was the poobah again, because I would just, I, that drives me crazy. And the amount of time that it takes for them to, you know, put the ball down, put the coin down there and then tweak it, leave the coin, you know, stand up, do their, you know, aim point, tweak it a little bit. It's crazy. So the putting green, I totally agree. We're on the same page once again. We got to do something. So I've seen a, either a shot clock, which would be a lot harder to administer, and your no your continuous putting. But would you? You're going to still have a lot of slow play. They're still yeah, going to even with a shot clock. 
and this is how it is today, that the, the most time it takes to play a hole is always going to be on the putting green. Yep. Yeah, and, and regardless whether that's a, a par three, a par four, a par five, it's always going to take the most time to complete a hole on the putting green. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the way the way it is. You have this constricted area where players, all the players in the group are playing from, or you and your opponent and match player are playing from. So it's a very it's a constricted area of the golf course, right? It's just, it's depending on bunkers and penalty areas. It's one of the smaller areas of the golf course to play from. And especially in match play, when the, the order of play is so important, there's this, you know, back and forth. Is it you? Is it me? And it's just there's, there's so much time taken up. So I think a shot clock would help speed some of that up, especially with, you know, it don't even get me started on aim point. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, one of my favorite players on tour right now, Max Homa, is a big aim point guy. Mm-hmm. And that drives me absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the shot clock, and that actually goes into something I was watching last night, which was opening day of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Was watching the White Sox play last night and get mm-hmm. the win over. I forgot to watch yeah, over the, the Houston the Astros. Clock. Yeah. So and I was I was watching it and I was looking on Twitter afterwards after you know the games finished today and the average game time of opening day games was just under three hours yesterday. Which if you've you know, yeah, if, you're base, if you're a baseball fan or you watch baseball or you've played baseball you know that's a huge success so, for again, Major League Baseball. I, I'm so glad there. you brought this up because if there's ever been a game that is more traditional. It's baseball. They still use wooden bats, for goodness sake. You want to talk about bifurcation with wood wood bats versus well, metal that's bats. coming. So. That's my next. That's my. That's next on yeah. my list. There we go. Um, and so it just shows you you can implement change. You can be creative. You don't have to. Golf needs to take a, a lesson from baseball, and a pitch clock, and and the changes to where you can, you know, put the infielders. The forget shift. which forget which game it happened yesterday, but there was a batter who striked out because of the pitch clock. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had his his third strike was called because of a pitch I love clock it, violence. and you got it. That's the thing you got to, otherwise you have to have teeth in it. So a shot clock to me on the putting green, because again that takes care of everything. A shot clock, I don't care what you do, aim point, you only have a certain amount of time, so use that time wisely. Um, I think that's sort of, again, I understand what you're saying about aim point, but your problem with aim point isn't the technique. Maybe it is the technique itself that bothers you, but it's the time it takes, right? Well, yeah, it's. It's not the technique or it's not the concept behind aim point, but it is the time it takes. Yep. And because because of what the technique is, is that's right. why it takes so much time. Yeah. All right. So that's a I've already set my third model local rule, and I know you won't like this. I would go back to a model local rule. Uh again, so this is ten clubs, um, and they have to be wooden heads. And you'd go back to the persimmon head, just like baseball, major league baseball, they have wood and, and you bring it bring back um, and not only does that, uh, I assume, I don't know, I, maybe they can, uh, air, you know, the aerospace engineers will figure out how to, how to make a wooden head that goes just as far as, but I doubt it, is the carbon fiber titanium airplanes that we now swing that look like Fisher Price. If Bobby Jones came back and saw the size of these heads, he'd be throwing up multiple times, don't you think? Well, if Bobby Jones came back and saw what Augusta National looks like today, he'd probably be thrilled. Yeah, that's probably true. So I'd go with wooden. That's another model local rule. Mm. What do you think about that one? I, I'll push back a little bit on that because I do I, I do still think that golf should be moving forward and we mm. should be advancing it and we should be figuring out how ways how to make the game better. And for for the 99%, it's, it's great that you... Model local rule. It, it, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's great that you listed that as a model local rule. Yeah. 
because a committee doesn't have to implement any model local rules. So if we just like the proposed ball model local rule for, from the USGA and RNA that they're proposing for 2026, mm-hmm. if the committee doesn't want to make people play with wooden heads, they don't have to. But right. I still do think that the game should be advancing forward. I would actually, instead of rolling it back all the way to a woodhead, I would just be in favor of reducing the, the size. This, yeah, the instead of a four sixty cc driver, maybe knock it down to a you know a three hundred or something cc yeah. driver. Yeah. So I, I would probably go with that route instead of. Well, so if we were, if you and I, if you were the RNA and I'm the USGA, we reduce the Joint Rules Committee to the the Ed and Lewis Committee. <laughs> I would I would be open to that. Mm-hmm. I'd be willing to to compromise and say let's just make it smaller, but stick with the. Modern, yeah, and see, uh, so even material four, four, five, six years ago, when a lot of a lot of the ball stuff was starting to come about, and you know, there were this research process or the distance insight pro- uh, project that the USGA has done. That they've, and if you want to go read the distance insight report, be my guest. It's mm-hmm. it's a long report, but I think everyone should take at least a, a gander at it before they start throwing out their opinion on the ball rollback, right? Um, but yep. even before that, I had always thought that the USGA would roll the driver head size back before they touch the golf ball. I just thought that was going to, that was an easier solution. You know, the back 10, 15 years ago, they were already, already making a 360 CC driver head. So the, you know, the, it's already existed previously. So right. it, it always figured it'd be easier to go back to what they had already created 10 years ago rather than try and re-engineer the current golf. Well, that'll be fun to talk to Thomas Pagel next, next month and uh, see. And what I'm sure they've already done yeah. some testing on that. Oh, I'm, they, if, the one thing you cannot fault the USGA for is a lack of thoroughness. The distance study, mm-hmm. I mean, they've been looking at this uh, closely for, what, six years? Uh, some would say, what's taking you so long? I have to one, one quick, quick aside. I was, when, I used, when I was caddying at Denver Country Club uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, yes, I'm that old, Fred Wampler, who was a very good player, was the head professional at Denver Country Club, and he had come back from Phoenix with the very first tailor-made uh, driver, metal-headed driver anybody had ever seen. And I was caddying for him the first time he used it. At, and, I mean, I think he'd played it before. But the first time the members in, at Denver Country Club had seen it, and it was tiny, the size of the head. It was actually smaller than a persimmon head. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that the first metal head was actually, one of the attractions was it actually had a smaller head. I don't know if that was because they thought you could hit it off the, hit it off the deck easier, but it's just amazing to think back. Uh, how much that's changed. All right, what do you what do you got next on your list? So next is, it, it, and now we're going to get into some, um, what what David Stabler would say is minutiae. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of minutiae. Okay. And this this kind of falls under the minutiae category, but. Okay. And this is, much like we've already talked about model local rules, you know, mm-hmm. being, you know, the committee would implement them and they fixes some things that are in the rules or changes some things that exist in the rules. This does get fixed by a model local rule, but doesn't get used very often. But for when a player is standing on a wrong green, mm-hmm. his ball is not on the wrong green, his swing is not on the wrong green, but maybe one foot of his is on the wrong green, under 13.1F, he's still required to take relief from that wrong green. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that he should get bailed. And I say bailed out. He may not get in a better spot depending on where his nearest point of complete relief might be. But I don't believe just because you have half of your foot on a wrong green with no interference otherwise, you should be forced to take relief from that. Well, you know that and again, a model local rule does fix that. It pretty, you know, it doesn't. Okay. It wouldn't make you take relief, or it would make you play that shot if your only your stance was interfered by it. But I don't believe. I don't think we should just 
have a model overruled for that. I think that should be implemented within the rules. Well, I think that, for that specific scenario with wrong green, I think it should only be for stance and well, and you do realize before twenty swing and lie, excuse me. Before twenty nineteen, you do realize that was the case. Mm-hmm. That was a change. That's what I would like to go back to. Go back to that, yeah. So um, I think the rationale behind that was probably consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have this exception. Um, but Lenny, and it, it, again, I am amazed. I know we're here to try to be smarter than the USGA and the RNA, but uh, I am amazed at how successful the 2019 changes were on balance. I mean, those are so far reaching. And um, I mean, you, you make that level of change and not have <laughs> a, a lot of unintended consequences. Pretty amazing. And I think a lot of, and I was going through my trying to figure out this list or trying to figure out what I would change. There was so much cleaned up in 2019 that it's getting harder to figure out what to change. The changes have been so good and they've been Mm -hmm. so thorough and they've cleaned up a lot of inconsistencies where now it's maybe something I would have griped about five years ago. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily gripe about it today because it's either been fixed, it's been changed for the better, whatever the case might be. And even to today with the 2023 changes, as small as they are or as minute as they are, it's just continued to refine the rules and how they work and how they work for the better. Right. So let me pull us back out of the minutia and into the, the macro. Okay. Placing, get rid of dropping altogether. And I would go, I know you're not surprised to hear me say this because I've been, we've we've talked about this, but I've been beating this, but again, it's, you talk about changes. Let's just do it. Let's cut to the chase. Let's go to place. Um, It would certainly make rule 14 a lot uh, smaller. Well, it would just, it would help immensely in terms of, consistency, lack of confusion, um, you know, pace of play. Um, it would be a, it's a little like, to me, it's, it's akin to the flag stick, being able to leave it in, leave it, you know, whatever you want to do with it. To me, that's just like, it would have so many benefits. Much, I think it'd have more benefits than people even think about. We get so hung up on, and this is just showing that as traditional as I am by going to 10 clubs and wooden heads and a shot, well, shot clock, certainly not traditional, um, I'm just trying to show you that I'm also a liberal when it comes to <laughs> changing. Um, I might be a traditionalist, but I'm a I'm a I'm also an innovator here. So I would just again, that's where we're headed, uh, you know. And, and let's just get there now. Let's not let's not continue. No, and it's amazing. And we've talked about this before. When the 2019 rules changes were contemplated, uh, they started out uh, at ground level. The first idea was not going all the way to place, but the next best thing is if dropping and placing had a baby, it was called a release. You put the ball on the ground and you let go of it. So it, if, it, if it just turned a little bit, and we've seen that a bunch on the PJ Tour where players are placing and then rules officials called in and they have to keep trying to set it down lightly. And if it rolls, they have to keep finding a spot where it won't roll. The release was like, as long as it, as long as it stayed within the, the area, it was in play. So that was... So let's just place it. Now that, that turns to another thing here. Now with going to placing, would you still keep the concept of a relief area within the rules? Yeah, I think you'd have to because you're you're uh, you're still going to see balls roll even in, in closely mown areas. You're still going to see a situation where because otherwise, you know, we'd be right back and balls rolling back into penalty areas. You'd have to have a relief area sure. to find. 
So the only, and I, I agree as well. I think the concept when the, the concept of a relief area rolled out in 2019, uh, there, there were relief areas prior to 2019, but the, the one we know today as of the relief area, mm-hmm. when that rolled out in 2019, if you got rid of that concept and went to a specific spot where you were placing all of the time, I think there's some rules where it might get a little bit tricky of finding that specific So spot. just to stay with this one for a minute longer, so when I, and again, it, the devil's always in the details. It sounds great, this place. Um, when you place your ball on the putting green, you're still going to have a situation where the ball fails to remain at rest, right? Um, and then you have sure. to have a rule that, that allows you to keep. So the, one of the things you'd have to really be clear about, and it would probably result in some penalties initially, let's say you're placing the ball in the fairway. You've taken relief from a sprinkler head and you're placing the ball in the fairway, and it's just kind of modeled, it's, it's just kind of uh, uh, unlevel, and you put it down and it just rolls a little bit. Um, I think the player, and, and whenever you play lift clean in place, I get a little bit nervous because, which is a whole nother topic, I'd get rid of the lift clean in place altogether if I was the poobah. I think, I think Anna Davis this weekend. Yeah. I guess the National might agree with yeah. me on that one. yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So you put it down and it rolls just a little bit. You're going to have to be consistent there. You, you know, does that mean it has to be replaced? Is that, a, is that a successful place? Or do you just let it, do you play it from where it sort of trundled, rolled from one dimple to another? If, so if, if we were challenged with going to placing, I know you wouldn't be in support of it, um, how do you think you'd handle that in terms of writing the rule? I think there, there's probably some some wording or some concepts you would borrow from the rules currently with the ball being at rest. Um, you know, e- even when you, when you're replacing right now, so we're talking about replacing a ball on, on where it's been marked and lifted from somewhere on the golf course. When you mm-hmm. replace a golf ball, you're required to replace it by setting it down by hand and letting it go and it, it and it coming to rest and it coming to rest on that specific spot. So I think Probably borrowing from the replacing concepts, you're, you're probably going to have to, even though with placing, you're not going to have an original spot which to go back to, there's still going to be a spot in which you are placing. So I think kind of meshing those two concepts together. I think you're also going to have to bring in some concepts from the definition of moved, mm-hmm. you know, moving from a specific spot. You know, if the ball doesn't move from a specific spot, but it's just maybe just oscillates or it just, you know, wiggles mm-hmm. or something. I think that concept would also probably be brought into place or, you know, placing as well. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm, I'm pretty confident that the, when the rule makers sat down and tried to in, in prior to 2019 and said, how are we going to fix this uh, com- complexities around dropping? Um, this is exactly where they started. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure somebody said, let's place it. And then somebody says, well, if you place it and it moves a little bit, all right, let's do a release where you put it on the ground and you release the ball, release the hounds. And if it moves a little bit, it actually makes some sense. And again, it's, it's a, the concern was that's going to create a lot of confusion. The other concern was, and, and I'll give you the floor to talk about why the randomness is so important. So go ahead. I mean, you know, you wouldn't support this. Is no, I, I still think dropping is, is an important part of taking relief. So when you're taking relief, and there are there are procedures where you eventually do get to placing with relief. You know, we see it on tour all the time. You know, guys dropping at the edge of the relief area so they can 
roll roll it out of the relief area, drop it again, roll it out again, and they you know they get to the the, the placing part of that procedure. But and I think even my I have to think back to when I first started. I think even my predecessor was also in favor of dropping the ball of keeping mm-hmm. the drop, Robert. Talking about Robert, I think Robert was also in favor of, your, of your keeping twin, the drop. Your twin, Who's <laughs> so when we talk about the randomness of of the drop, the randomness of the lie, um, you know, the randomness comes into play after every stroke. You know, you, you, once you once the club or the ball leaves the club head from from making a mm-hmm. stroke, you don't get to control where it goes. Right, it's totally random on where the ball goes. So I think having that same randomness apply to a relief procedure on when you're, you know, the ball's getting to a different spot on the golf course. Because when you make a stroke, you're take, the ball's going from one spot to another on the golf course mm-hmm. via the stroke. When you're using a dropping procedure to take relief, it's going from one spot on the golf course to another. Mm-hmm. So I think preserving the randomness and the consistency between those two occurrences, between making a stroke and moving the ball somewhere else on the golf course via a drop, I think keeping the randomness is is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and I understand that logic. I would say there, there's a difference when you're hitting the ball, playing a stroke, and using your hand to get sure. the ball back in play. Your ball's in your hand. It doesn't occupy. So just to clean all that up, ball's in your hand. How do you get the ball out of your hand back onto the golf course? You, use, you place it, period, full stop. Um, so preserving the randomness for that, frankly, fairly unusual eventuality where how often does it now again take out lift clean place where which is unfortunately run amok now Mm -hmm. um and and again that really disturbs me that in terms of trending uh, we're trending toward lift clean in place everywhere i mean that's honestly where we're trending this idea of a mud ball is so you know the 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 liberalness and so that aside um if you're playing a pure round of golf no lift clean in place uh, it's fairly unusual that you you uh, end up, you know, in need of picking the ball up, and anything we can do to limit that, to me, is is a good thing too. Yeah, I, I can see I can see both sides of the argument. Yep. It, if one side of the argument happens to be stronger than the other, I could probably get on board yep. with, with either way. Yeah. All right, go back into the minutia. Back into the minutia. I have one more that's a macro. If you want me to go ahead and go there, yeah, let's 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 do the because I have one. I have a couple minutia ones too. So okay. let's save let's, those in. All right, yeah. this this is probably the first thing I would do, and you and you know what I'm going to say, scoring. I would totally blow up scoring in golf. This it just to me it's absolutely absurd in today's age where a player is disqualified for basically an administrative error or, or penalized for basically accounting. Uh, this is a game of skill, not a game of, you know, math or so Roberto DiVincenzo ends up losing the masters because of a, of somebody writing down a, a wrong score on the scorecard. That is absurd. So we need uh, this idea that the score becomes official in a scoring area no other sport does that. The, the, the buzzer sounds, the game is over, there's no dispute. You don't all huddle up in, at the end of a game and decide who won. Um, you know in real time. So the score should become official after every hole. And at the end of the round, if there's any dispute, anything, just like in the Kentucky Derby, the race is over. And then if they have to check and make sure that there was no fouls, 
if there was anything that looked funny, okay, we could, you could do something like that. So if you have a question on a whole, you make a notation of it, and you resolve it at the end of play. So out of you know, 20 groups that finished, you may have two that need to have something adjudicated after the round. But instead, every single, so there's this, so we kind of create a problem. We create a lazy habit during the round where players are not uh, held accountable. And so they think, well, I can always fix this later. And they don't pay as much attention as they should. There's never, <laughs> there's very rarely any question about what you scored when you, when you hole out. But when you wait three hours and you think back on your round, yeah, you're more likely to have, you know, forgotten what might have happened. And if you forget to, and people say, well, you have to write, how hard is it to write down a score? Um, we can talk more in, the, in terms of the devil and the details. I would also um, move away from paper scorecards for other reasons, um, but that's kind of a, a detail. So I would change scoring. The score is official at the end of the hole with one exception if you have any dispute, any question. So if you finish your round and you had no uh, questions, you don't need to go to a scoring area. The score is official. Uh, and that's where the electronic part has to come in so we, we know how you did. So tell me what's wrong with that. It's, it's an interesting one. And I, while you were kind of going through that, I was trying to mentally shoot different holes through <laughs> it. Um, just, and it's, it's part of the traditional, you know, being a traditionalist of, you know, the, the, the score, the, the scorecard is the player's responsibility and going to a scoring area and signing off on it and, you know, all this stuff. But even, and even we at the CGA have made advances on that process by going to electronic scoring mm -hmm. and, and doing some other things that ensure that the likelihood of that of the player getting either disqualified, penalized, or something happening with that scorecard is trying to be minimalized. But I guess with golf, and this is one of the holes I was shooting through it while you were talking there, you, know, you, you have the, the committee in golf. And ultimately, the committee has some responsibilities, and the committee makes some decisions on you know, what, what players do and how the, how the event is run. And I guess unlike baseball or or basketball or football or some of those other sports where there's a set playing field and all the players and the game is happening within view of everyone at the same time. And I guess in baseball and in football and basketball, I guess the committee in those sports would be, you know, the referees or the officials on that playing field. And I guess they're always in view of all the players at, every, all, at mm -hmm. all times mm -hmm. and all the scoring that's going on at all times. Mm-hmm. However, in golf, the committee is not always in view of all the scoring going on on the course at once. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know, you could argue on the PGA Tour, there's walking scorers and in match play, there's an opponent and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. But I think when you have those issues dealt with by the committee, but the committee is not overly watching every single player at one time, I think it does get a little bit tough you know, for a player not to come to a scoring area or for something to become official without the committee having some piece of that at the end of the round or having a part in that process at the end of the round. Okay. So that's my first yeah, all right. hole I'm shooting through it. Okay. So let's stay with that one for, for a minute. Um, so let's take uh, two examples. Let's take a PJ Tour example, and then let's take a state amateur. Because, again, scoring in casual golf, it's not a big deal. Um, you know, you, it becomes an issue when you're competing. That's when keeping a proper accounting and playing by the rules really matters. So this is a competitive 
you know, this isn't going to affect you and me if we just go out and which swat makes, the ball. Which, let me take a sidestep for, for three seconds here, which makes yeah. a really good point. I was at a rules workshop maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, whenever it was. And a lady stepped up from the back of the room. This is her first USJ Rules workshop. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, I think we were talking about the committee at this point. Or maybe we were talking about, this might have been day one, rule one. Mm-hmm. For, first topic of the day. Mm-hmm. And she stepped up and she said, so really, the rules of golf are really only written for competitive golf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I forget who the the USGA instructor was at that time for this workshop. But he said, well, no, not really. I mean, the rules of golf are applied to every round of golf. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, well, no, not really. I mean, in a comp- in a casual round of golf with you and me, who's going to disqualify me? Or who's to, who's the committee that's going to issue yeah. the, this ruling uh, amongst, you know, th- yeah. this, this, and this? So really, this is, you know, some of these concepts are only applying to a competitive round of golf. Yeah. I was sitting there, and I wasn't, at first I was just kind of, oh, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. This is stupid. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> but, smart. But, but you know, this, right. was, this was almost three years ago, and it's still stuck in yeah. my head today. So yeah. it's it's interesting that we, we're talking about this in a, in a competitive yeah. lens. I think she's right. Competitive I think lens. she's right. Absolutely. So, okay. So on the PGA Tour, I got to believe with the resources they have mm-hmm. and the level of play, LPGA, they know what they scored on a hole. They know when there's been anything that's remotely out of, out of you know, so they'd have a system. And you'd have some way for that score, those scores to be logged electronically. And there they are. The, the, and, and again, if there's a mistake, if there's, you come back later, you just fix it. Um, now, if it's an egregious, you know, so I, I really think, not to get hung up on that, I, I really think that's not too difficult. Um, and... And it, but probably the most important part of this is I am suggesting that we shift the responsibility, some of the responsibility, because, again, the player has to agree to a score. Mm-hmm. They have to agree that they scored a three, a two, a, a four. So there is still responsibility there. But any errors, um, sort of oversight, sloppiness, that gets fixed. That's really, you know, that that's my main point. Just fix it. It shouldn't be this idea that, you made an, you made a mistake. Not you didn't you didn't break a rule. You didn't hit the ball more. Your your test is of your skill, not so. Just make sure that the score that you actually that you actually had is correct. And if the committee can save you from any kind of penalty, because we know Tommy Aaron made a mistake with Roberto DiVincenzo, he made a birdie on the seventeenth hole. What a shame! What a, that's tragic. And this idea that we sort of celebrate that is taking responsibility. And Roberto DiVincenzo said, I, that was so stupid. I mean, that's, not, that's nothing to be celebrated. That's just, and again, it's so incompatible with today's, and I guess some, and I, I've been guilty of this, take responsibility. That's, that's so important. And this idea that any injustice we can fix, see what's happened in other, all other sports, if there's an if there's a uh, uh, an error on a referee's part, we can go back and replay and look at it. So this idea that there's no unfairness, but to me this is an area of unfairness that we could easily solve. So that's my main point. As far as the next rung of the ladder of competition, I'm a big believer in electronic scoring. We still get the, the young kids; they love it. They don't have any. They don't want a scorecard. They're all digital. They are so accustomed to using their phone as their scoring device. The other thing I love about it, and this is another benefit to having the score become official at the end of every hole, 
you can then require that the scores be entered. I know that you can, you can, again, you can find problems, shoot holes through, well, what if there's no internet? You don't have, but it, with technology anymore, if the scores get logged officially at the end of every hole, and again, if there's a dispute, we have a mechanism to, to fix it later, then you have a timestamp on those scores on every hole. And now you have a system to track pace of play. As you said, the committee can't be everywhere all the time. Well, the most important thing they should be doing is monitoring pace of play. And this is a way for the system, the scoring system, to also serve as a pace of play monitoring system. The scores get entered. They get time stamped. The committee now knows how they're doing. So there's another just as big a benefit, if not bigger. Scoring is simplified, cleaner, real time, and it is a pace of play timestamp. I do, I do, I do like electronic scoring. I think it's a good advent that's come along in the last however many years. Um, when you talked about junior golf, the AJGA was a big early mm-hmm. adopter of electronic scoring. I don't say many nice things about the AJGA, but mm-hmm. they were they were a very early adopter mm-hmm. of going to an electronic scoring system. I think it worked well for them and. We're now seeing it at you know our level at the at the AGA level, and um, it's I think it's going to going into the future. You're just going to see more and more and more of this. So before we leave scoring, and this may be a topic for an entire podcast because it's such a big topic, although probably not one that most people uh, are that interested in. But as administrators, part of the reason we are so uh, detailed uh, when it comes to creating a scoring area, defining it, uh, is the, the potential for a disqualification in the scoring area is that's where DQs occur. That's where major problems occur. So if you don't run a good scoring area, uh, you have major problems. And I think because of that, we could redeploy some of those resources onto the golf course and not have to be quite so fixated on scoring. So I'm going to take a couple of examples. Um, last year's Colorado Open, a player was, uh, didn't, wasn't disqualified but had to live with a score I believe, if that's the case, but they they did not. No, they they were disqualified because they failed to put a score in the final hole. They they knew what they scored. Again, it was a, it was a it was a perfect storm because the player was relying on the committee and the on course scoring stations to populate that scorecard. And then when they got to the scoring area, it was a mistake in the scoring area that failed to to catch that. So a scorecard ended up getting through the system without a score on the 18th hole. That player ended up getting disqualified, would have been in the top five or something going into the weekend. That's ridiculous. That That is not acceptable. And I was totally on the side of the player um, in terms of the sentiment, but we had no choice. We made the right ruling. So the, the, the I'm not suggesting we should have made an exception to the rules, well, and, well, even and, now, the, the committee can't make that exception. We, we gotta, I know. we, we got to apply the rules. I understand that. And I'm saying that we should be able to remedy that. We should be able to fix it. And if everybody in the group can say, yeah, indeed, he made a four on that hole, then just put a four on the hole and move on and, and, and just, you know, don't. So that's one. And then the other thing, well, uh, and they're kind of related, failure to sign a scorecard. Again, to me, every time you put down a number, that's a signature. It shouldn't have to be this official, like, what is this, the Declaration of Independence? You have to sit there and put your John hand. Come on, every time you write a number on a card, that's a signature. You are vouching for that. So this idea that you disqualify a player because they or their, their, their attestee, their whoever kept their score didn't sign it, 
give me a break. That, we got to get over ourselves. Well, here's another bullet hole through it. <laughs> so every, every time you're putting a number down, that I guess it is in essence a signature, but you're signing it on as a marker because mm-hmm. you're keeping someone else's card. Yep. So when you you as the player get that card back, so again, I think there still needs. I understand to be some this. Sort of not verif- to, again, still needs to be some sort of verification I, or okay. agreement that these scores are correct. Yeah, and again, this is maybe another a whole another podcast, but. So you and I are, are playing in a competition mm-hmm. electronically. The way an electronic scoring system should work doesn't always work, If you know, whether depending on. I enter a score for you, and I enter a score for myself. That's what I'm saying. I enter my score, and then when your score and my score don't match, it immediately flags it. Mm-hmm. So we know there's a discrepancy. So you just you have to be more careful. At the end of a hole, you have to be a little more careful. And I'm sorry... It shouldn't be that difficult to make sure you put down the right number at the end of the hole. And that is what I'm saying is you're, you're vouching for that. Okay. Well, we beat that one to death. Um, let's get back into the minutia before we wrap here. Do you have, right. I have a couple nits. So, so my, my minutia, um, this is... By the way, this is a good time, I guess, to stop listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to... Got to stick through to the end because we're going to throw out a... We're going to throw out a question... And so if you're if you were tempting to tune out, we're going to throw out a question, and, and if if you uh, there's some prizes to be had, so stick with us. So, so my last thing is a is a reduction of penalty. Okay. So my my reduction, I would totally get rid of the penalty for a stroke made on a putting green hitting another ball that was on the putting green. Mm. It's a stupid penalty because it's just, because there's no penalty for it in match play. Yeah. If you and I were playing a match and you were my opponent. And I hit your ball on the putting green. There's no penalty for it in match play. In stroke play, it's a general penalty. Yeah. So two strokes in stroke play. And it's just that's one of the things where I, I get in match play that you know all the parties involved are protecting their own rights, and you know that that occurrence only affects you and me in match play. Mm-hmm. There's no one else in the world that that one occurrence of me hitting your ball on the putting green affects. Yep. And you could have protected your own rights by picking it up. I could have protected my own rights by making you mark it. And it's this little bubble. Although uh, when we go over in a stroke play, you know, that all these other factors come into effect. And then we are all of a sudden penalizing that same thing for happening. Nothing else is changing other than the fact that it's stroke play. Right. So it, to me, it's just, it, well, one, you know, one, I think it's a stupid penalty to begin with. Two, I think it's a harsh penalty for for it being the general penalty. Yeah, we've reduced a bunch of other penalties within the rule book. We've reduced the penalty for making a stroke and incorrectly substituted ball. We've reduced penalties for um, the one ball rule when that was when it double, was in effect. a double hit hitting. We've it. reduced the penalty for accidental deflections. We've yeah. reduced the penalty for accidental movement on the putting green. There's a yeah. lot of penalties in the rule book we've reduced or gotten rid of. Yeah, but that one's still. I think that's a no brainer. I, I agree, and that it, but it it brings a. Um, Two examples of things that I think are huge successes, um, I think. The first one is we've pretty much seen the end of backstopping. Mm-hmm. That became a habit, a lazy habit, a kind of an, a, an agreement to waive a rule almost where players were leaving their balls near the hole uh, kind of as a, you know, as a doing a favor. Um, or an to, unspoken agreement. Yeah, an unspoken agreement. And, and it became pretty – there was a few comments where that came out of – uh, players' uh, mouths that at weak moments that really proved that they was indeed something that was occurring. It just appears to me that that's gotten better. We don't see that happening. And I don't think it was any change to the rule, 
But it just, again, that's what we're trying to avoid. The reason there's a penalty is you don't want backstopping. You don't want to leave a ball there, and I can just bang my ball. I think it goes back to billiards, you know, we, you know meaning we don't want to be billiards. You don't make cross, croquet strokes at the ball. So it's such a – but I agree with you. I think in today's world it's just an outdated rule. So my two minutiae, as we wrap up here, um, are I would – and we we got a lot of comments on this on the rules video you, you did and that we did – you you kind of had a reprisal of. And that's when a ball in, on the putting green strikes a flag stick that's been removed or equipment that's been laid on the green. And the outcomes for those two are so different. And I think it's – whether there's a good rationale behind it or not, it is very confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think there is not – out of 100 golfers, I don't think very many would get it right there's times where even I did the video on it and there's times where I have to yeah. take five seconds to think, well, which one yeah. is which? So I would, so <clears throat> excuse me, I would get rid of that or I would clean it up. And then the other one we talked about last year, which really still does bother me is the idea that I get penalized in match play. If I move your ball, um, you know, in the general area, I just think that that's, that's stupid. I don't get penalized if I pick up your ball on the putting green inadvertently um, it's an accidental movement of your ball. Um, but in match play, if we're walking down the fairway and I accidentally kick your ball, if I purposely pick it up, I suppose, okay, I don't, I don't, it just, that one to me is, uh, again, in the, in the weeds, but I would, I would just get rid of that penalty, uh, as well. You have any problem? I know that you don't like it. Yeah. I, I think I'm still on my stance of that when it's, when it's your own ball, you you have a certain level of responsibility to be careful around your own ball. Right. And I guess this goes, same thing, when, it, when you're an opponent's, your opponent's ball, you know, there's a certain level of responsibility around your opponent's ball and someone else's ball on the golf course. But I guess in stroke play, with you being an outside influence, you could, you know, walk whistling away and not paying attention and you're kicking it and there's no penalty. So right. I guess maybe in my weird twisted stance, I guess maybe the the outside influence should get penalized. Yeah. Play, but <laughs> then you would have, then you would open up a, a box that you don't want to open up. Right. Okay. So as we wrap up here, I have a, 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 a challenge for all of our listeners, all four of you. I think we have five now. I think my mom just, just, just tuned in. Oh, and, we've gotten a few more. Okay. We, uh, so here, this is going to be fun. So what you need to do now, you've listened to our ideas. We want to get your ideas. Tell us what rule of golf you would change. uh, And we're going to pick what we think is the best, most insightful, most well-thought-out answer. And email um, me or Lewis, but we'll we'll just say, make it simple, emate at coloradagolf.org. We'll we'll take a look at these. Emate at coloradagolf.org, so if you're listening. And we're going to have a good prize. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be a good prize. It's not going to be a lame, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, but I want it to be creative. I want it to be a solution. And I guarantee you there's some smart people out there listening um, that that come up with ideas. And I can tell you, if you say I would, I would make divots in the fairway ground under repair. Don't waste your time. If you want to send us that you can, but it's not going to matter of fact, we might penalize you for that. I don't know how maybe what we'll do if they do that is we'll lower their handicap by four strokes. Every one of them. Yeah, Can say, we do a, that? I was going to say, if that's, that's an automatic DQ if yeah. from, the, from the contest. All right, so emate at coloradagolf.org. Email me your very best rules change, and we can't wait to read them. And uh, hope, you're, hope you're enjoying Spirit of the Game. Uh, until next month, we'll have Thomas Pagel to talk about the distance rollback. This is Ed Mate signing out. And Lewis Harry, thanks for listening.